there would be this many people on Saturday morning coming and hearing a redemptive message of what God is doing in people's lives. And um, I know this can be quite a mixed bag for some of you. I know that there are some here who are seeking to understand and learn how to minister and love those who are struggling with same-sex attraction, while others here are coming because there's a tremendous amount of pain in your own life. You have family, you have friends who are dealing with this issue, or you yourself might be struggling secretly, or maybe some know of the struggle within. And so my desire for this day for uh, Kathy Grace and myself is really twofold. Is one is to truly bring glory to God in how we communicate this issue, an issue that is so heated. It's so uh, much on the, the forefront of people's minds in our culture, both politically and socially, within the church. And those are important conversations. Those are important things to look at. But if we miss the deeper issue, and the issue of the personal relationship and the personal need to love and care for those who are struggling with this, who are not necessarily maybe struggling, but have embraced, then we miss the point. And so I, I think that's what I'd like to do is set the tone for the day, that we would communicate God's love, his mercy, and his grace on this issue, that it not just be about an issue, but about a personal and relational um, discussion and that there will be and there are redemptive solutions to this. And so to, to kind of launch the day, I'd like to share just a snapshot of my own story and why I'm even standing here sharing, why I get the privilege of being the one with the mic this morning. I, uh, I grew up in the church, in the Episcopal Church uh, in Oregon. My dad was a minister there. And uh, this church, if you know much about it, uh, even in the 80s, had a difficult time really holding to God's word and bringing personal relationship uh, with one to Jesus Christ. And so I didn't, I didn't have that exposure. And yet, in the midst of that, I had a deep desire to know God, to know his word and to have relationship with him, but without a whole lot of direction and without a whole lot of understanding. And so see, things were seemingly fine growing up, but then around the age of well, puberty, going through this awakening, I began to notice something in my own heart and mind that was very different than my, my male peers. I began to realize and see guys in ways that I knew other guys weren't seeing their friends. While my friends were speaking about girls, about being attractive, desirable, wanting to date them, wanting to kiss them, I secretly was thinking something along those lines, but about them. I was like, oh, it's you that's mysterious and different and intriguing. And, and I didn't know what to do with those feelings. Again, being raised in the church, I had a sense of a moral compass, even though the Episcopal Church at the time had no direction of morality. I still wanted to live according to what God, God's word was. But again, church, not knowing what that is. I had to study it on my own. I had to pursue it on my own. So one summer, when I was 15 years old, I was at my grandparents' house in, in eastern Oregon. Everyone was gone for the day, and I, I decided to open up the Bible and look at the scriptures that had to do with homosexuality. And when I did, I started right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 19, where God in my young mind is seeing God destroying two major cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, for this wickedness. And of course, again, I zero in on this homosexual behavior. 
I then turn to Leviticus chapters 18 and 20 where God defines homosexuality and shows it as an abomination. Now, just for a clarification, it makes it clear it is an abomination, not the individual, but of course, as a young man, I'm recognizing I am an abomination to God. That was my assumption in reading this. Again, I wanted to ask, I wanted to know, but no one was there to point me in that direction. So I actually was thinking, well, this is Old Testament. Old Testament's old. We don't slaughter lambs anymore. We, I didn't know this at the time, but we can mix fabrics. <laughs> we can eat shellfish. I mean, there's lots of things we can do now. And so maybe God's opinion on this particular issue has changed as well, which was bringing me a measure of hope. But of course, when I open up to the first thing found in Romans chapter 1, and Romans chapter 1 defines that God gives them over to these unnatural desires. That was the key that I picked up on, unnatural desires. That this was not his intention and that there would be penalty, penalty for this action behavior. And not only were they doing these things, they were encouraging others to do it as well. So the good news, the Bible was bringing condemnation <laughs> fear and trembling and really the clincher came when I read 1 Corinthians 6 chapter 9 where Paul makes it very clear do not be deceived very important words if you will especially in our time and our culture wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God so all of a sudden I'm feeling I'm disqualified to enter into heaven as I'm reading these, these scriptures fornicators idolaters adulterers homosexual offenders and I stopped right there I remember very clearly this moment I literally threw my Bible across the room and I cried out to God with all my might God if you don't want me to be this way and I don't want to be this way make it go away take it away from me you're the almighty powerful God you have the power to do that why can't you make this go away and I was, I mean, I'm in tears because I'm full of anguish at this point. I'm full of confusion about my life. Nobody knows. And I was about ready to end it all. I'm like, I don't want this. God didn't respond in that moment, which again confused me all the more. A righteous, believing young man who's crying out to God, why are you not answering this question? So I pretend to be the good Christian. I pretend to do the right things, but secretly I'm struggling with lust in my heart. I'd go find out this before the world of internet, so I'd go find places where I could look at pornography and, and try to indulge these, this appetite that I have within. And at this point, I am desperately getting more and more in need of God's mercy and his grace and his healing power. Because if anybody in this room understands any kind of sexual addiction or any carnal behavior that is of the flesh, the spirit man, the moment you're done with that carnal behavior kicks in, and immediately, like, God, I'll never do that again, right? And truly wanting to believe that, I'll never do that again. And that was my heart time and time again, and yet I continued to do it again. Mostly in my mind, my heart, but that was, what, that was, that was bad enough. And so I got to the place where it's like, I want answers to this and freedom from this. And I, I actually called up a, a hotline, telephone uh, line to, to try to get help. And the person coldly replied that the person who doesn't deal with people like me wasn't even in. And I felt like I, my first time of reaching out and sharing with another human being, and it just fell flat. That was my moment where I was done. 
I jumped on my motorcycle. I was a senior in high school, and I full throttled it down a street, wanting to end my life. And because um, I figured if I'm going to hell, let's just get this over with because I don't want to live this way. No desire. Well, obviously, God had other plans, calmed me down, pulled me aside, and I just wept for a while, pleading to God for answers. Give me answers to this. What is wrong? What's happening? What, what's the solution? Well, at this point, shortly after this, I decided to share another, with another person, a friend of mine that I felt like I could trust. And she happened to have heard about the ministry of Portland Fellowship, this ministry that helps men and women find freedom from same-sex attractions and desires. When I heard this, I'm like, what? You, when you become a new Christian as an adult, it's like living water. You see the light. You hear stories like that. I didn't really have that experience, honestly. I was, I was raised in the church. I kind of knew God. I felt like from birth. But this was my moment where God was speaking life into me and hope into me. I called the ministry thinking, okay, what's well, the magic prayer you guys do? What's the electroshock therapy you engage in? What's happening here? What's this process? Do it. Bring it. I was literally, and I kid you not, willing to gouge out my eye and cut, literally cut off my arm, the hyperbole that Jesus talks about, to free myself from this. And so when I found the ministry, I began to experience the, the healing work of God. Now, I want to pause just for a moment here and, and bring up a few things that when in high school, in the Episcopal Church, no matter what that church or any church, there were things I needed desperately. And I'm speaking, I hope, mostly to some pastoral leadership and counselors, people who are caring people. And so I just want to briefly cover some of those things that I needed that will then shape the rest of today, and we'll unpack it. So it's just going to be snippets, but we'll unpack it as we go along. First of all, I needed to know, and this is so important for all of us to understand, is that God, oh, here, by the way, here's me when I was younger, insecure and uh, falling apart on the inside, but no one, everyone thought I was cute, lovable. My mom called me a, a lover, not a fighter, which was cute, but it didn't help me with my masculine development. So, <laughs> uh, so here's the things I so needed, and, and if you don't take anything else but these things this whole day and implement this, it can be awesome for someone else in need. The first thing is I needed to know, this is somewhat elementary, I imagine, is that God loved me in the midst of my struggle. He loved me in the midst of my struggle. We got to remember that Jesus, he came for the sick. He came for the hurting. He came for the lost. He didn't come for those that are all righteous and had it all together and looked good on the outside. It's not who he came for, which is what, sadly, the church at times becomes. Mark 2, 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love that about the Lord. He came for the messed up ones. That was certainly me. By the way, the word loving does not equate to enabling. We need to separate that. To feel like loving means to just care about where, and just love wherever they're at. It's like, no, that's enabling. In fact, I would say that's the opposite of loving. To have the truth, but just kind of like, eh, I'm just going to be all polite and have coffee with you for the sake of it. No, that, that would leave someone in their sin. His love was not only compassionate, gracious, and merciful. It was filled with the truth, correction, and discipline. And I thank God for it. We had a, a, a parent who came to our group once, and she emailed me a, a bit back, and she wanted to reflect on her time at Portland Fellowship. And she says this, in all the different places I have worshipped, I have never felt the presence of the Lord stronger than at Portland Fellowship. 
that is because Jesus loves broken people. So I love being in, a, in an environment with broken people, acknowledging humble, broken people, wanting the Lord. Like at Celebrate Recovery, even last night, a desire to know what God has for them. I needed to know that God's word is true and his character is good. So at this time, I truly needed pastors who would teach God's word correctly and unapologetically. Filled with grace, of course, but obviously some have embraced the pro-gay theology. They have abandoned sexual, biblical sexual ethics. Uh, Some have twisted the scriptures to say what they want. Uh, Even in 2 Peter 3.16, he writes, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand, but which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So I needed to know that God is full of grace and mercy. However, he would not leave me in my sin, in my brokenness, in my confusion, but would call me forth. We need to remember that God is good. We have the song, he's a good, good father, right? He's a good, good father. I love Cy, Cy uh, Rogers, a friend and a well-known speaker, has this analogy. It's like when he was raising his kid, I completely identified this with my children, where you're going through potty training stage. Any parents here? Isn't that your favorite stage of, ch- of raising a child? Well, it's so easy, right? I don't know what you guys did wrong, but it was super easy. No, it's so hard. And, and at one point, the child, my sons, know they're supposed to use the toilet. They know how to use the toilet, but they choose to go behind the couch, crouch down, and let something out that then eventually we see that stinks. And then what happens? He knows he's defiled himself, pooped his diapers or his pants, and he does what with me? Come and run to me and tell me? Oh, no, no. What does he do? Run away. Go hide as though it'll somehow just disappear <laughs> and the smell will just naturally go away. I don't know what the thinking is, but we are like that when we defile ourselves. We tend to want to run away from God, the Father, who wants to change us in our defilement, clean us up. But a good father doesn't go, oh, you pooped your pants again, let me clean you up. No, he's going to say, I'm going to clean you up, and I'm going to discipline you not to do that again. I told you where the toilet is, this is where you need to go. And I love that, that he calls us forth, so it's hard, and it's challenging, but it's rewarding and good. I needed to know that I was not alone, and I certainly felt extremely alone. But until finding Portland Fellowship, which was so life-giving, I could recognize that there are other believers who are struggling with similar issues. And I really do believe that pastors and leaders, the most redemptive churches, the most healing churches are the ones where pastors and leaders appropriately communicate their own need, their own sin nature, their own vulnerabilities. Again, I don't think pastors need to go up and say, last week, here's my, I'm going to confess to you all. I don't, I don't think it's helpful but to, to acknowledge their humanity, their brokenness, and their need for a savior invites the people in the room to go, okay, if the pastor needs that, when I come to him, I will be able to be in a safe place to, to walk in a process of restoration. I love uh, a pastor that was interviewed once on the news. Uh, it, it was very much a, a liberal news station, but they were saying, well, what would, you, what would you say to gay people to the pastor? Kind of on the spot. What do you say to gay people? And the guy responded, I loved it. He said, you know what? If you're gay or lesbian, do come to our church and let's surrender our sins together. 
I was like, wow, that's the way. Get, get rid of your sin. No, no, we're, gonna all, we're all in this. Day. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All need a savior. And ultimately, shame is what, unhealthy, ungodly shame is what keeps us trapped in our sin. And so we must find a place where there's no continuation of that shame happening. It's so easy to do. You can do it non-verbally. You can do it verbally. Keep the shame away. Receive. Remember, Jesus came for the sick and the needy. So to find Portland Fellowship was life-giving. It was freeing. And, and, and that's what I desperately desire for all churches to have a place where someone can come in and go, here I am in my brokenness. You, in a sense, come naked, <laughs> you know, not physically, but you just lay yourself before one another, and then God does amazing things through that. I also needed to hear and know that I was not born or designed to be gay. In other words, it is not genetic. Now, I'm going to unpack this a little bit uh, this, after, uh, this morning about um, root issues here. Uh, but su suffice it to say that, that God's intention is perfect, absolutely perfect. Now, we do live in a fallen world. We have to contend with sin and destruction and, and all these things. But we need to go back to God's original purpose and design to then lead our lives, even with an affliction or a, a need. So we'll talk about this in a bit. But Psalm 139, 13 makes it very clear. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So this scripture completely butts up against the issue of people who are claiming to be born gay or transgender. I know we're up against a culture that's absolutely uh, in opposition of that message uh, that that God did not design it to be in a specific way, a in a biblical context with, with spirituality and sexuality. But nevertheless, we come to the word of God to give us direction and understanding, live our lives accordingly, and God blesses that and frees us. I need to understand my relational wounds and my needs. So this is an important point here, which will be shared a couple of times, I imagine, today, is that homosexuality, bisexuality, transgender, lesbian, uh, and frankly, the ongoing list that's being created, really is not a sexual issue at its core. It's not a sexual issue. We tend to make it that way because that's the symptom, that's the outcome, that's the expression of these things. But everything we're talking about today, and for, I believe in the lives of people who are identified as gay, lesbian, bisexual, that it's not a sexual issue, it is a relational issue. If we can grab a hold of that, we can then begin to unpack this in very powerful and redemptive ways. And what I mean by relational issue is twofold. The first and foremost, which is the most important, is our relationship with God the Father. We don't believe in his good character, we struggle with his intention, we're not seeking his will, we're not having a deep deepened and strengthened relationship in him. And so the first thing that needs to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring to Jesus Christ who then unites us and reconciles us with the Father. And once we do that in right order and with the intention of God's perfect will for us, then we can begin to put things in right order because he's the one that gives us identity. He's the one that gives us purpose. 
He's the one that claims us and shows us who we are as men and women and then our de our, his design for us to function intimately and sexually with one another. And so again, we're going to unpack that a bit this afternoon of what that actually looks like, how we could lead people. I would certainly pray for others who are dealing, dealing with that. I needed to uh, have a safe place to recognize my relational needs that were not met or at least compromised. And so this is also an important aspect of this entire issue. For those who are struggling with issues in their life that are, that are life-dominating, sin issues in their life, that they're compelled and desi a desire of things that are counterfeit to God, there needs to be a replay of what's going on here. And we'll talk again in more detail, but one, the, the two main aspects is sin nature or biology or environmental and development. And I'm going to share with this that they're, they're, they play in together for sure, but you can't just do one or the other, but you look at both of them. I know it can be a challenge. Theologians tend to weigh on the side of the sin nature, biblical understanding. Counselors tend to generally line on the the developmental issues, and sometimes there's contention between the two. And I, I think, I think the balanced approach. And again, since I have the mic, this is the <laughs> this is the approach I'm taking here, is is a beautiful place of of, of bringing that tension together. And again, we'll, we'll we'll highlight that again in a moment here. But what are we trying to uncover? Well, we're uncovering abuse. We're uncovering neglect, loss, threat. Threats to your identity, trauma, inviting the Lord in those moments is what's going to bring genuine, deep, and lasting healing. We tend to, if you understand anything about the grief cycle, there's a process people go through, and some people just get stuck. They get stuck in the denial stage. They get stuck in the anger stage, and they just walk around angry their whole lives. They get stuck in these areas, and, and God is saying, well, let me continue this process of sanctification and healing in your life. Bring this next thing to me so we can take care of this together. The reality is, too, is to recognize that Satan, we have an enemy who is an opportunist. He looks for opportunities and vulnerabilities to go at you and you and you. We all have our unique area of vulnerability, and he knows what they are. Satan very rarely tempts me to do drugs, ever. Why? It's not a vulnerability. I've never done them. I have no interest in doing it. It's just, it sounds stupid to do drugs to me. It's, I don't get it, right? And so do I get tempted by anyone to go, hey, you want to buy some of this? Hardly ever. <laughs> never. The temptation will be what's common to my sin nature or struggle or vulnerability and brokenness that I have to contend with. And so we need a place to press through and recognize we all have vulnerabilities, we all fall short, and we all need a savior. I actually, pulling this up and recognizing that the deeper issue is not about just the sex. I even had a guy who came in the ministry a while back, and he, he actually tried to hit on me. Uh, he couldn't talk, and I used a technique like, well, why don't you write down what you want to say, and I'll step out of the room, and I'll come back. And, and I come back in, not thinking anything of it. We're going to read the question, and then I'll help him process it. And it just says, I want to have sex with you right now. I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Something you couldn't verbalize, I see. But it was a great moment. You know why? Because I said, you don't really want to have sex with me. I know it feels like you do. But you want something far deeper than that. You want validation. You want acceptance. You want someone who will want and desire you. Is that true? Do you, does that ring true? And he started weeping and he said, yes, that's true. It's very true. 
And so we let the whole sex thing and all of a sudden that's off the table and we can now get to the root of the issue in the life. I needed to know that my identity is not based in my sexuality, feelings, or behaviors, but rather in Jesus Christ. So I can behave badly. I could have really awful feelings. Neither of those things determine my identity. And this is a struggle I have with people who identify as gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender. It's like your feelings do not determine it. Your history does not determine it. And frankly, even your behavior, meaning prisoners who are having sex with one another in prison, who are mentally thinking of a woman while that, that action is happening, they're not gay. They may be doing a, a socially gay act, I suppose, but their identity isn't gay because they're doing that thing. Joe Dallas points this out great in this one illustration where he said when his kid was, a, was young, and my kids went through the exact same thing. It was fascinating. For quite a season, they were down on all fours, barking like a dog and nibbling at my ankles. My boys were. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> it's like, and it's cute for the first, you know, three minutes. But after about three weeks, and I'm not kidding you, it's like, stop it. And the, the response of a perfect, a, a bad father would be, you know what? You're barking like a dog. You're down like a dog. Guess what? You're now a dog. You're no longer my son because you're behaving like one. I'm done with you. Dog, go to the doghouse and eat dog food. That would be a terrible, awful father. What does a good father say? He says, you are my son. You're designed to be a human being. You will get up on all, in both legs and you will stop barking like a dog and behave like God, uh, that you were designed to be, and that God intended. And so, of course, done lovingly and carefully, but the point is, the sad part is when you see someone who's doing something that's not how they were designed, and then you say, well, I guess that's who you are, is a tremendous disservice and a lie to that individual who's struggling. And so we, we are bringing people up into the faith, into truth of who they are. The identity issue, and we're going to talk about this here in just a few minutes, about the, the gay Christian concept. That's a, becoming a much bigger issue in our culture today. There's side A and side B. We're going to actually evaluate that here in a few minutes and take a peek at it. But ultimately, we need to surrender any kind of false identity. So what's fascinating is everyone who comes to Portland Fellowship, they are not identified as gay, lesbian, bisexual, even though there's major feelings going on and possibly weekly bad activity going on. It's still not their identity. Now, some people may have to wrestle with that initially, and then God begins to show them who they are. But we have to surrender that. My friends, to this day, I've been doing this for almost 30 years now, and my friends who know me for many years will introduce me as the guy who deals with the gays and lesbians. And I'm always like, I don't, actually. I, I, don't, I don't mean to be coy about it. I just don't. I don't work with gay and lesbian people. I deal with believers in Jesus Christ who are struggling intensely with same-sex attractions and desires and seeking redemption and healing, right? Yeah, and so absolutely important. If you, if you lead out in the wrong direction, what hope is there? What transformation is there if you're holding on to a false identity? And then to recognize that my value is found in Jesus Christ. It's, it's him who defines me. I love the illustration I give to, to uh, youth groups about a dollar bill. If I had a dollar bill here, I'd say, well, how much is that worth? How much is it worth? A dollar. And then I would say, well, who gives it value and worth? You guys know? Did you give it value and worth? No, who? Who does it? Yeah, the higher power of our land gives us value. Now, if I tear it a little bit, it's now worth about 90 cents, right? 
Well, it can't be worth a dollar, obviously. If I spit on it, and I stomp on it, and I cuss at it and shame it, it's got to be about 60 cents at that point, right? Zero. Almost, if it can maybe feel like it, for sure, if it had any feelings. No, it's still worth how much? Why? Yeah, not anything to do with the actual bill. It's tearing, it's spitting upon, it's stomping on. Nothing about that gives its value and worth. Only the higher power. Now, put that in biblical and true context. Who is our ultimate higher authority? God. Who's the one who gives us our identity? God. So anything that happens to you, whether you were violated, molested, hurt, spat upon, rejected, insulted, none of that matters about your identity because who says you're worth 100%? God. And if we hold on to that, we are going to be flying again in this process of, of recognizing who we truly are in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has gone, the old is gone, the new has come. And then finally, seven, I needed to know and move in the healing work of Christ. This was the hope I was seeking. I needed the healing touch of Christ. I needed it desperately. And I needed him to transform my heart and my mind. I wanted the cravings and the counterfeits to cease. And I wanted to know him and who he, he, he was in my life. And so this is where the, the sexual relational brokenness begins to find its restoring work. This is the point also of confusion in our culture or in our church even of, well, what does that mean exactly? They'll never have a temptation again, that you will be a raging heterosexual by the time you've finished the 12 steps. You know, it's like, what is that, that you'll get married? That's the number one big question. Like, what's the t statistics on this? And it's like, uh, oh, what's the sign of an outcome of healing to get married? It's about a third of the people that come to our program are already married, have children, serving in ministry. So obviously that's not the answer. To be free from all temptations and trials. Anybody in this room free from temptation and trial? So then how do you quantify this? How do you understand this? Well, it comes down to recognizing that when we walk with the Lord and the favors of God and the freedom that happens, we will experience that ongoing sanctifying work. We will experience, if you will, the continued work of God that he is faithful to complete until we see him face to face. And so through the years of Portland Fellowship, I would do that. Again, I'm going to unpack it a little bit this afternoon of what that looked like. But I began to experience a renewed mind and re renewed heart. And I began to go through this process where it's like I don't want to, to continue to identify with this. I don't really need this type of deep support anymore. I'm now acclimated or connected with the, with the people that are speaking in my life. And uh, an awakening started to happen. And I promised God I would not make, make up this uh, a desire. I would not uh, create a... A, uh, a, an experiment on a woman to uh, date her and marry her and hope it all comes together, you know, and use her basically for my healing process. No, it had to happen where it was intrinsic. It was a desire. It was this place where I wanted to be married. And, and God began to open that door. He began to give me these desires. And it actually happened one day in a coffee shop at Multnomah, my school I was going to. And I met this girl at this table. Didn't know her name, nothing about her, but I was sitting next to her and I kind of 
touched her a little bit with my arm. And I'm, I'm 25, by the way, this time, right? I'm not, I'm not 13, but I felt like a 13-year-old. I promise you that. In fact, so much so that I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask her out. And I thought to myself, how, how do you even do this? I have no idea. I, all my peers have like, done this for years now. And I'm thinking, do you write her a note? You know, will you go out with me? Check box, yes, no, and maybe, you know, <laughs> slip it over to her. I, I just don't know. Well, friends of mine at Mullinowitz, you know, they, they helped me kind of get the nerve to look her up in the, in the Facebook, the old-fashioned Facebook, and, and, uh, and we, I called her, and she agreed to go out with me. And it was a wonderful experience of a continued process of my healing as a man. And one year to our first date, I took her to Multnomah Falls and at the bridge there and got down on one knee and asked her to become my wife. And, and I was scared to death right up before that, and I remember thinking, God, you're going to have to come through 100% with this. It's like, and sure enough, it, the moment I asked her, it was like the, the faith and the trust and the hope and all that all came together, and it was so much peace and joy in that moment. Thank you. Thank you. And so I, at this point, um, you know, began to develop a relationship, uh, a marriage with her, and then and then I had children. One of the most the most difficult times in my life actually wasn't about homosexuality even though I wanted to kill myself over it it would actually got worse when my wife and I, I had our first child and we knew in the ultrasound that she was going to be born with half a heart hypoplastic left heart syndrome and of course I was going through a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety over this and so was my wife she was born we were going to proceed with this thing called the Norwood procedure and and um, she was doing fine for the first two of three surgeries, but then at three and a half months old, one afternoon, Sunday afternoon, she just, you could just wa literally watch her face just slowly slip away, like she was done. She closed her eyes and passed away. And uh, it was absolutely traumatizing, of course, in, in just the aftermath and working through the, no one should lose their child. It's like parents, yeah, they need to go eventually, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> but children, no. Um, but I wanted to add to one point of that is that God, even though it was so hard and it was a trial and it was a lot of emotion involved, that God was faithful through all of that as well. That he blessed us, that he comforted me and my wife. And then a few years later, we were able to, to have a, another child. And then a few years after that, another. And so we have Tr Trevor and Cody. And this is, this is my family, about a year old. And, and this is just one of the many joys that God has brought into my life because of his faithfulness to redeem and transform lives, because of my desire to be obedient to his faithfulness. I think there's a, there's a combination project here going on. And I have never seen him fail me yet. He has provided everything I need. And, and, and so my, one of my greatest desires is to share with people, even in the midst of your struggle, in your pain, in your trial, maybe having a loved one who is lost and deceived, keep praying, keep hoping, keep trusting. The outcome, as I reflected on my daughter, was not that she lived. Boy, and I did pray and fast, but she still died. But guess what still happened? God's faithfulness and his, his peace was still in my life, the peace that surpasses all understanding. So I can't certainly promise anybody's outcome, but in with hope in Christ, whether you're struggling with something or you have a loved one struggling, there will be peace. There will be hope through that. God will be glorified and it will be for our good as well. So again, my hope as we continue this day is that the church here will minister 
fully with a full counsel of God, not a partial counsel here and a partial counsel there, but the full counsel of God, which means we need to deal with the 100% truth of God. We need to deal with 100% grace in this, and we need to have zero compromise in that. That's, that's the intention, and that recognizing God is a God of deliverance and freedom. Uh, just to close this part, when I threw my Bible across the room, 1 Corinthians 9, the, the most powerful, most joyous part of the scripture was unread at that, at that moment. It was fascinating to actually come back later. And that's verse 11. Verse 11 says, but that is what some of you were. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. He desires to wash us and cleanse us and to free us. It's not a light switch. No one's going to get their problems go away, and I'm going to explain that here in the next hour or two hours or five hours. How long are we here? We're here till midnight, right? We're good to go. Um, he does this work. Now, the question is, how does he do this work? It's going to differ from person to person. And again, we're going to unpack that as we go along. But if you don't mind, what we're going to do is keep going before we take a break and, um, and, and cover some things that are pretty important here in this process. Um, Take this off. We live in a world full of opinions, right? We are living currently in a world full of, if you believe it, fake news. We, we live in a world full of blogs where everyone wants to make a comment about something. And one thing that's become deeply confusing is understanding what is going on with this issue specifically with the church. Now, for years, the issue of homosexuality and like issues uh, in the culture has only grown of acceptance and embrace. Remember I mentioned in the 80s, the group ACT UP was probably one of the first ones. In the late 70s, there was a, even churches, Metropolitan Community Church that was starting to embrace homosexuality uh, as good. Uh, and then, of course, we saw TV shows and we've seen movies and mainline characters and sports figures, and they're all coming out gay and proud, and the world does this, right? In fact, it, sometimes it's breaking news. Uh, it's fascinating to me in the last year. If there's a breaking news about the first baseball player that comes out gay, I'm like, who can't? I don't mean to be disrespectful, but really, is this news? It's like, this is, this is how culture is going. And I'm not shocked or surprised, and frankly, none of you should be. If you've read the book, we understand that this world is going to have the world system and follow a completely different leader and not living according to God's principles. So let's, none of us should be shocked by that, right? That's happening. It's going to happen. However, one thing I think we should be shocked about or we should have concern about is what's happening in the church. The church is what's important, and even Scripture says this. We are not to judge those outside the church. Don't do that. Stop it. That's for God to do. Stop judging them. We are to judge those inside the church. Before you do that, however, however take the plank out of your own eye, that sin, bondage issue, that, that, that serious character flaw. Take it out so that you can see clearly of what you need to under, un, understand. Does everybody have this handout, by the way, Matt? Uh, they're already on the table? So I'm going to be covering this one here, if you guys can see it. I don't think I'm on the... Okay. I'm going to, if, if you want to grab one, you're welcome to. It's going to be on the screen. It might be hard for some people to read it, but I am going to read it out loud and go through this quickly. Yeah, why don't you grab a small stack for your tables real quick? It might be easier. Sorry about that. 
which part? The, the part below what you have been washed. Oh. Right, jail ministry and the yes. Galatians, it gives a dirty dozen. I go, this is why you guys have to study the Bible. Yes. Because what's it say about that? But then yes. we go to First Corinthians, I think it's, you stopped too soon. Yes. We've got to finish <laughs> it with the good news. Yeah, no, thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Thank you, thank you. Does everyone have a, I know this is a hot mic. Am I too loud for some of you? I'm, I know I got a loud voice. Okay. All right. Is this too loud? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's a happy medium is what you're saying. Okay. <coughs> All right. So again, as I said, we got, we got serious issues, I believe, and I'm going to exaggerate, uh, not exaggerate. I think this is important to talk about. Um, I put this together last year with some help from some friends. We actually have uh, a gentleman here who's helped me considerably working on it. I thank him for this because it really helped refine it. It's like an ongoing work in progress. I realized one page took so many revisions. I thought I could never write a book. Everyone would be like, that page needs that. That page is like, my goodness. But I love that it's refined because I want it to be as accurate as possible. This is differing views on Christian doctrine, identity, and homosexuality. And I love this line I put right underneath it. It's used for discussion purposes is what we're doing here today. Some authors or organizations may fluctuate between categories. And I know that there are within these categories people who would say, I don't quite believe that or that's not what I would say. So this is really coming from my opinion. <laughs> it really is with a lot of help from some people out there. So what I'd like to do is just bring some clarification to it, but for a purpose, for a reason. Not to camp on most of this, but to then the rest of the day camp on one category in this. So what I've done here is separated two major categories. And just to, one more time for clarification, this is not coming from the gay community. This is coming from the church community, okay? So I'm going to start at the far left over here, rebel. And, and at one point would call gay partnership. These are people who would say that there's gay partnership. If you see at the very top, the label, and this is very intentional, says LGBTQ, and you could put plus there. And then Christian, because that's the claim that they would hold on to as well. But Christian's smaller than the label. That, again, is intentional. The first column uh, is basically saying, God made me this way to enjoy partnership with the same sex. He made it this way. Uh, the identity is gay compelled. It's determined from feelings and behaviors. That's what they would say. I feel this way, and I act this way, therefore I am this way. Things I mentioned in the previous talk that I don't subscribe to. The belief and response here is basically, and you might have heard this term, opening and affirming. They celebrate gay relationships. The biblical view is a revisionist pro-gay theology, liberal sexual ethics. So in this case, when I was looking at those scriptures, Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah, Leviticus, uh, Romans, Timothy, there's a passage in Timothy, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, each of these in this category of column would revise it and say, that's not what Paul meant. That's not what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was about rape, not about homosexual union. They would, there's, under, there's a biblical way of twisting these things in their mind that says uh, to be able to justify it. Now, I'm going to be bold in saying it's twisting and it's deceptive um, because it is. It's, it's, a, it's a revision of traditional biblical sexual ethics that is not in line of God's intention. And beyond those four or five passages is the totality of Scripture. We don't have time for apologetics this morning, but the re reality is 
all of scripture points to a God who brings life, who designed man and woman to represent Christ in the church, God and his people, the union coming back together again of being pulled Eve from Adam. There's so much illustration and power that does not and cannot happen with homosexual union. It just doesn't exist. Their origin of, the, of why they struggle is that they would say, well, we're born this way, and God designed it this way. The emphasis is live and let live, do your thing, gay partnerships and marriage, etc. And then this category would be strongly and is strongly opposed to healing, transformational ministries, organizations. These are uh, SSA roots, which means same-sex attraction roots, that there are no real roots to it, it's just biology and any other contributing factors like abuse and neglect, those type of things. Um, proponents of this category would include people like the Gay Christian Network Side A. Side A is a believer that you can act on these behaviors. They actually just changed their network name to Q Fellowship, um, So, but I'm leaving it on this because people know it by the GCN. Authors, and this is important for, for family and friends and, and concerned Christians, when they see a, a title of a book, they're like, hey, this might be a good book for you to read and be encouraged by. This is important for you to recognize. It may not be a good book to be encouraged by. Uh, Matthew Vines, a God and the Gay Christian, justifying homosexuality, being blessed by God. Justin Lee was the director of the Gay Christian Network. He wrote the book Torn. Mel White, you guys might remember from many years back, wrote for, it was a ghost writer, and then wrote the book Stranger at the Gate. And Randy Thomas was the vice president of the now uh, defunct uh, Exodus International, which basically blew up or imploded because the leadership began to embrace and believe the lie that people don't transform, there is no healing, and that homosexuality is, is okay. What's fascinating about Ju uh, Randy is he didn't go from that position all the way to this column overnight. I actually watched him for a while begin to make the compromises, which is a, a, an interesting point in this whole thing. Compromises and leading toward one way or another. This is how, how it works. You're going to serve the devil or you're going to serve the Lord kind of things. Like staying in the middle, lukewarm, doesn't work so well. So I'm going to propose here on this column, by the way, some people have asked me to put uh, the quotes, Christian, uh, quotes around the word Christian because it's not. And I'm going to propose to this group, and you may disagree with me on this, but it's not Christian. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ and to trust him and surrender our lives to him. And if you're purposely proclaiming something that is contrary to his will, that's not being a follower of Christ. You can call yourself one. Keith Green said you can go to, go to uh, McDonald's and call yourself a cheeseburger, but, you, but you're not, right? Say it. It just doesn't make it true unless you're doing these things and proclaiming these things. So the next column over, gets, it gets a little more interesting here. The next one is a resist column or gay identified. So the idea behind here is I'm choosing to obe be obedient with my unchangeable affliction. The identity is gay constrained, comfortable. See, this is very important. They may not call themselves, well, they do label lesbian, gay, bisexual, but they don't camp on that. They're comfortable with the LGBTQ plus label. And they would say their identity is in Christ. But it's okay to call yourself a gay Christian. Okay, that's the kind of the mindset here. The belief and response is to love the gay Christian as is, but to encourage abstinence. God did not design you to have sexual union with the same sex it's in this camp. Uh, the origin, born with inclination, but God did not design it this way. The emphasis is living a chaste, abstinent, but a God-centered life. 
uh, silent and or opposed to healing transformational ministries, SSA roots, and contributing factors. And those proponents there would be the side B aspect of the Gay Christian Network. There were literally two sides, which I'm surprised a house divided cannot stand. I was always intrigued how the I can act on these and I can't act on these went and had a conference together. <laughs> but it's like, okay. And Wesley Hill, Washed in Waiting, is a, one of those books. Gregory Coles, Single Gay Christian, Nate Collins, all the bit uh, invisible. And one person who's become very prominent is Preston Sprinkle, People to be Loved. He's put out a video called Dear Church, I'm Gay. And a lot of pastors and a lot of churches love it. They think it's great. And it is well done, very polished, and it's very loving. It's filled with grace and compassion. But if you watch it carefully, each person identifies themselves with their sin. I'm a gay, celibate gay Christian. I'm in a mixed orientation marriage, meaning I'm married to a woman, but my desires are for man. I'm going to call it this. And then there's another couple in it or a kid in there who went through Portland Fellowship, and the mom says, I would not. One of the biggest mistakes was to send my kid to, to ex-gay ministry. I don't like that term, but all intents and purposes, that's what, it, what it's been identified as. And so... The, the message really is more of a resist column here. Don't act on it, but don't make the label it an issue. Let God work on that part. Is this a bad column? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, better than the left. In a sense, I'm like, yeah, you're choosing obedience. I mean, God says obey me, right? So, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I applaud that. Good, good for you, at Preston and, and Wesley, for saying can't act on these desires. Now, I do want to ask deeper questions like, okay, you're not behaving this way, but are you doing it in your mind? Because the Sermon on the Mount makes it very clear. Jesus says, if you're lusting in your heart, guess what, folks? If you hate your brother, it's kind of like murdering him. I mean, it's like, in other words, the heart really matters to God. So where's your heart in column B and then in the second column? Now, this is completely separated by this other side. And that is, if you see in the middle, a belief or a mindset. One side that I just covered is change is not possible, desirable, realistic, and or a focus. So and or can be that for some of these people in that second column. But when we flip over to the other side, it's change is possible, desirable, realistic, and or a focus. So now we're going to get into another category. Now some people would say these two columns over here are one and the same. But they aren't, and it, it has this unspoken kind of tension. It's not a negative one. I mean, no one's, no one's fighting over this. It's more of a silent treatment kind of thing. For you do this way, we'll do it that way, and just we won't invite each other to our events <laughs> kind of thing. And, uh, and so I want to read the next one and, and ask a similar question. The next one would be renounce or a conversion category. The idea is I surrender my false identity and sinful behavior. So now we're giving up both our behavior, which is this column, and I will not take on that label as gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, etc. I am a, a child of God. The identity uh, is God conquers his victory. Found in Christ, not in the struggle. The belief and the response is called to repentance and obedience in Christ. I'm going to obey Christ in this. Plain and simple. Biblical view, it's traditional biblical ethics, that God will meet us in weakness. He will lead us through this. The origin, it's primarily a sin nature issue, a result of the fall. That's what we're dealing with. We all have a sin nature. Yours is that. Yours is that. Mine's this. We all have to submit it to God and trust him. Uh, silent, and here it is, silent or opposed to healing ministry 
same-sex rates and prohibiting factors. Proponents of this, the Gospel Coalition, the only reason I put it there, I think there's a mixed bag on that one, but a lot of their invitation for speaking and book writing and articles are these proponents below, which I do believe falls into this category. Rosaria Butterfield, wonderful woman, great book, uh, powerful secret uh, thoughts of an unlikely convert. Christopher Ewan, uh, out of a far country, powerful, powerful, powerful story, but he is actually opposed to the transformational column. So he's a little, little more extreme than Rosaria in, in my hearing of him. Sam Alberry has got anti-gay and Ed Shaw, SSA in the church. All right, is this a good category? Yeah, not even, not even better than the other. It's good. Why is it good? Yeah, yeah. So th these individuals are now saying, listen, my identity is in Jesus, and my walk is in him, and the word of God is going to bring me life and hope and peace, and the body of Christ and the church is going to help me in my times of weakness, and we all have a sin nature that we need to die and surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and I await the resurrection where I'm out of this body and in presence with him, I'm like, yes and amen. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with this. In fact, in order to potentially get to this next category, you have to be in this category. And I venture to say, even though I'm a proponent of the last category, and I serve in the last category ministry, if I had to ultimately choose where the, where the average believer should land, it would have to be in this. Because it's the most grounded, direct, biblical response to say, trust and obey. There's no other way, right? But God has revealed even more. And this is where it gets a bit controversial of some. God reveals everything he shows us for salvation and for understanding the character of God and for salvation in Christ Jesus through the word of God. I am a huge word of God. I go to Calvary Chapel. That's all we do is study the word. I read through the Bible every year. I love it. And yet God shows us his way and his will in so many ways. Even the scriptures, read Psalm 19, it very clarifies that we look up into the heavens and we can find knowledge by just looking at the creation. Romans chapter one, the same thing, we are without excuse because it is all around us. God is showing us. That doesn't eliminate the Bible one iota. In fact, you must and have that in order to be grounded in truth. And then God shows us all sorts of things, powerful things. So let me go through rebuild, the final column here or transformation. The idea here is my hope is in Christ for a truly transformed life. Identity is God created, God's initial intent, even though there was the fall to contend with, found in Christ and is in and his transforming work in us. The belief and response is repentance and discipleship toward obedience and healing. This is the kind of the, the contentious word, healing. What does that mean? <laughs> we're, we're heading there kind of thing. The biblical view, traditional biblical ethics, God heals and redeems. The origin, and this is somewhat of a difference opinion as well in the previous, that it's both a sin nature, first and foremost, of course, and a developmental issue, which again, we'll, we'll talk about in our, in our next talk. Emphasis, godly living, relational healing, and gender wholeness of his design, his initial design. That we promote hope and healing through the body of Christ, counseling and discipleship programs. This is where it gets a little tricky for some would say, no, no, the church, the Bible, church, the Bible, <laughs> that's it. Counseling, humanistic, God's, or a man-centered stuff, and 
make no mistake, there's tremendous amount of humanistic counseling out there that I would totally stay away from. Personal affirmation, the kind of look in the mirror and say who you are, I'm good enough, I'm smart. No, 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 you're not good enough, you're not smart enough. <laughs> in, without Christ, you're nothing. <laughs> you are, and anything you have is like filthy rags. So it's like that kind of reinforcement's not going to do a thing. But God has revealed in general revelation some powerful tools, techniques, opportunities of rock, watching relational development to help us grow into maturity. Again, something I'll, I'll be expanding on a little bit. But we know this to be true. We don't bat an eye when we think about raising children. All the different things, the potty training. Are there good books on potty training? Are there? <laughs> yes, yes, there are. Are they, are they good? Uh, is all of that information found in the Holy Scriptures? No, because there's natural revelation of God showing how to do this and how to do this right and the wisdom of others and God's wisdom. And so if we can implore that into this process, we can, we can bring God's word and, and his design and his purpose all into one so that people can walk in freedom. Proponents of this, Restored Hope Network, which took over the Exodus International Implosion, a great ministry. We have several people here who are a part of that network. Joe Dallas, one of my favorite writers, Desires in Conflict, was his book back a while back. World Fellowship, of course, is on there. That's our program, Taking Back Ground, which is a two-year discipleship. We'll talk about that at the end of the day. Andrew Kamiski has been a legend and longer than, I think, most of these things, and that's Living Waters. That's also another redemptive program. And Ann Polk, who's the executive director of the Restored Hope Network for Women, wrote a book on restoring sexual identity for women. women so... That kind of paints the picture of what we're up against. What I'm going to be spending today looking at is this final category. I know that there's going to be some word issues or some, some uh, issues. Uh, some people would say, would anybody rest in the resist column? When I went to Multnomah College, Bible College, is now Multnomah University. When I went there and spoke at uh, a human sexuality class, I presented this. This is about four months ago. And I, and I just kind of said, well, obviously, we probably agree here. But, but where would you subscribe to if you had to pick a category? And there was about 15 students. And two of the 15 students says, I'm in the resist category. That's what I believe. That's where I land. The, the second one over. And I'm honestly, I'm like, Multnomah, this conservative Bible college has students that say, yeah, you can identify as a gay person. That's okay in, in light of, of who you are in Christ. And so my, me saying that is I wouldn't be surprised there's some people in this room that are there or even some others who are in the first category are just here to hear what I have to say. But the reality is what I believe we should all be moving toward is to, toward the rebuild and transformation column. There's a person in our program that disagrees with this, and here's her reason why. And she's going through our program, living at our facility, and she, we've kind of butted heads over this kind of thing. She says, I've met people who have sought out the rebuild category and did not make it, and because of that, they feel shame. They feel like they didn't achieve it. They didn't work hard enough or try hard enough, which, by the way, isn't, isn't the answer here. Jesus is the answer through it, so the process is wrong. But so she can't refer people to it because of that because some are wounded, some are hurt. And this is a le legislative issue that's going on actually in California, which we'll also talk about. But we, uh, my idea is comparison to cancer. If you had cancer and you went to go seek treatment and you found out that people who sought treatment and still died, would you then say no one should pursue treatment? Of course not. And even my, going back to my daughter's death, if I knew she was going to die at three and a half months old, would I have fasted and prayed those three months, which I did, and through the, through the pregnancy? Absolutely, I would have. I don't regret 
one bit of that because God met me in that place and I moved toward him. It wasn't the outcome I was, I mean, I was certainly hoping for, but it wasn't the determining factor of why I was doing what I'm doing. So we trust God through this and let him resolve these things. So hopefully that's clarified. You can ask questions about this at our lunch more informally if there's things you want clarification on. But I want to I spend one more time, uh, one more moment here talking about this transformational category because it has caused even more confusion. It's, there's, there's lies out there. We get printed and, and, and uh, groups and now legislation are saying things that are simply not true. So I think it would be good to make some clarification on that. If you don't mind, we'll just spend a little time on that. Uh, and here's our purpose at Portland Fellowship. Our purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ by proclaiming his desire and power to redeem people from sexual sin and bring relational wholeness. Our role is to help equip those who struggle to live out God's intended purposes and to offer a safe place for family and friends to live out this lifelong message to respond to the truth of grace. So that's kind of our mission. That's our purpose. We're not a professional counseling organization therapy as we're going to address here for a moment. So we got a few lies to deal with, truth and lies, uh, myths versus truth. The first one that we are up against is that transformational ministries, or like Portland Fellowship, Restored Hope Network, seeks to make gay people straight. Now this is the idea of the pray away the gay. Pray away, they, that's what they do, and that literally is what they put in their titles, <laughs> we pray away the gay. And uh, the, the reason I say, even in my story, you cannot pray away a, a, the gay is because homosexuality is a relational need, right? Can you pray away a relational need? Can you? Can you pray away any God-given need? No. Okay, you're thirsty. You're dying of thirst right now. Sir, you're, you got, you're just at the last. You got like 30 seconds left. And I say, well, have you prayed about it? We'll pray harder. You're obviously not very good at praying. Let's get the whole church to pray for him. Now, I'm not minimizing prayer. Prayer has the, absolutely the power for God to work and connect. That's how he works. But what at this point does he need? Water. <laughs> exactly. So if I have a relational need to connect with people, and I say in my prayer closet, God, fill this need or take away the need for relational needs, that just doesn't make sense. You can't pray away something you need. You have to fulfill the need. We're all designed to fulfill what God's intention is. And we're going to do it rightly or we're going to do it wrongly. But we have to do it. You're going to go seek the counterfeit or the real thing. You're going to serve the enemy or you're going to serve the we don't, we, we don't live in a vacuum of ourselves. We have God designed it this way. And so we cannot pray the way uh, legitimate struggles and, 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 and needs the other thing, too, is the idea of the word straight. It's not even helpful to put sexual identity labels over our lives. Sexuality, desires, temptation, distorted relational hunger simply cannot be summed up with a label. So someone says, well, are you still gay? Well, hey, I was never gay. Are you a heterosexual? Well, let's talk about what that means. Do I desire my wife? Yes. Intimately, romantically, relationally? Yes. Do I desire women like a typical man does, lusting after women on the screen or in person? No, that's, not, that's not really not where I'm at. Is, am I okay with that? Yeah. Is my wife okay with that? Yes. <laughs> so what does it mean to be heterosexual? It's like we need to rather submit our entire life to the Lord and then identify ourselves as a son, a child, a daughter of the king. Transformation. Uh, so this was a Geraldo in 1995. I was on Geraldo in New York City. 
basically crucified by a New York audience. It was a lot of fun. And uh, boy, they were angry with me. And all I simply said is, there's a solution. There's a hope for those. The, in the green room, they said, you can't mention Jesus. It, they won't, it, the Geraldo won't allow it. This isn't a place to talk faith in Jesus. And so I had to communicate in a way, which I honored that, honored a way that communicated Jesus' power and authority in recognizing that there is freedom for those who want it. And, um, and they, of course, didn't believe it, but this is, this is the way they titled it. Gay today, straight tomorrow, light switch. It was ridiculous. I, uh, just real briefly, I was watching this. You know, they film it, and then three months later, they play it. So I knew it was going to be on. And at this point, I'm now dating uh, my now wife, Amy, and we're sitting there at a friend's house watching this, this show. And at the bottom of the screen, I have no idea what to say this, Jason Thompson, no longer gay, which I never was, but whatever. And then it says, and now desperately looking for a wife. And I'm sitting there by Amy, I'm like, Oh, my, how embarrassing. I mean, we weren't at the point of engagement or anything. It was like, this is awkward. Maybe that was God's way of pushing me forward. I don't know. So. Okay, so, uh, transform, but the truth is that transformational ministries seek uh, to, for people to be more like Christ. That's what we do. It's a discipleship program to be more like Jesus Christ, okay? Not to make people straight. And an outcome, a byproduct, is heterosexual functioning or desire and awakening. Sure, of course, that's part of the process of, of restoration and healing. But it's not the end goal. Transformational ministry is another myth. Are against gay, lesbian, and transgendered people. And there is reason for this, this myth, isn't there? Sadly. The church over the years has been known to be against homosexuals. There's actually a picture I saw in the, in the paper just yesterday or the day before that uh, had a group of people sitting around at a prom praying. Did anybody see that? And they're all upset. It's gone w w um, viral on the web about people just angry at them for just praying over a meal because they were associated instantly with gay-hating gay and, uh, you know, Republican Trump-loving people all because they were praying. And, there, again, there is reason for this, sadly. When we look at... Um, Statistics, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons wrote this book called Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity, and there were common perceptions of Christianity. And here are the common perceptions that people were thinking. First of all is that Christians plus a non-Christian is 68% boring. I agree with that sometimes. 68% <laughs> boring. 70% says they're insensitive to others. Isn't that sad? That what we are known for as the body of Christ, the one who came and died for us and gave us new life, that we may spend eternity with him, the unbelievers out there in this world don't see what Jesus offered in their opinion, perspective, or real, believes what we're against, not what we're for. We need to change that for sure. 
before the people he loved. And so that's exactly true. The truth of the matter is my transformation ministries are for the gay, lesbian, and transgendered people, but to know God's will for their lives, that's very important. It's not just one, otherwise it's simply enabling. We're ambassadors for Christ. We need to be less about what we're against and more about who we are for, right? More about Jesus. So as I said before, just more a point of clarification, Portland Fellowship is not involved in political issues, public policy, culture issues. I just, I don't even go there. One man, one woman campaigns. Some ministries in Restored Hope Network are, and they're very passionate about it. Portland Fellowship, my own stance is, it's simply for those who come through. Which again, some people might be looking for some very practical social answers on this issue. This has been billed today as a redemptive response to those struggling with unwanted same-sex attractions and desires. That's what we're gonna spend time on. But the importance of doing that is if you can gr get grounded in that element of what this issue is about, I believe with all my heart, then you will be able to do rightly, politically, socially, and in the gay neighbor and whoever you need to minister to because you'll understand what God is doing in the lives of his people. Another myth, transformational ministries practice reparative therapy. That's what's going on in the, uh, the assembly bill 2943 down here in California. And there are different opinions on what uh, reparative therapy is. But I want to just give you two basic ones if you want to write down so you can understand the difference between what you might be doing here at this church after we leave and what reparative therapy may do. Uh, the overall goal of reparative therapy is sexual reorientation. That's the overall goal, to diminish uh, homosexual desire and increase heterosexual potential. That's a goal of the therapeutic process. And of course, it's not grounded, grounded in scripture, but rather in, in therapeutic techniques. So not uh, the goal, but, it, it, but a significant goal that differs from, from Portland Fellowship. So and the other thing is their methodology. Their methodology is different. Uh, they use clinical terms and techniques, <coughs> and even they use, uh, they use um, controversial techniques that I just flat out disagree with. Some, some ther reparative therapists would uh, encourage their clients to look at heterosexual pornography to help awaken heterosexual desire. Um, but obviously that is the very wrong approach in this process, in my opinion, and it could be problematic for sure. The assembly f a bill in 2943 is attempting to say we're offering uh, something that we can't guarantee and it's then consumer fraud and they're trying to shut down California things. So anything that's sold that even talks about change, transformation, healing, wholeness uh, will be considered consumer fraud and sued for trying to sell these things. Um, I venture to say, and you might have read some of these articles, that would, uh, they're not agreeing to this right now, but it makes sense, that includes the Bible, right? The Bible would certainly clarify under that. But really, the, the truth is that transformational ministries provide biblical discipleship. So this includes things like accountability and prayer, biblical instruction, confession. These are things that that God works in and through. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. So just for the record, I'm not opposed to therapy. I'm not. I'm opposed to humanistic therapy. I am. I'm, I'm, but I'm not opposed to biblical therapy. And that's a whole other chat about what that looks like. But I do believe in the more deeper, profound healing that takes place as we allow God to renew our minds and our hearts. And I personally believe that happens through his word, through the word of God, 
and through the community of the saints in the context of the community, context of one another. That's how he functions. That's how he works. So when, when the bill, when they try to shut us down, I'm like, well, we just, we just don't do it. Uh, but, of course, they disagree in saying we're just it's semantics and they're just, we're just changing our words around. But the reality is uh, reparative therapy is, and conversion therapy is, is not at all what we do. The fourth myth and, or myth on this is that transformational ministries teaches to suppress who you really are. So from the world's perspective, you're born gay. That's kind of a no-brainer. So deny, deny these desires is equivalent to having a ministry, in their mind, having a ministry that helps black people become white people. Okay? Because it's something you're born with. Well, first of all, it's absolutely offensive, number one. Number two, they're confusing sexual immorality and God's intention with something that is God's intention and a beautiful thing. But I can see from their perspective, oh, yeah, you're so ingrained in this lie that you think what we're doing is so unethical and so damaging that you want to outlaw us. Um, and so I, I can get it. I think it's good at times to put yourself in their shoes for just a moment. I've got some, some uh, hard, hardcore Republican friends that can't even remotely put their feet in a Democratic shoe just for a second to go, well, why, why would they think that? <laughs> no, he won't even do it. He refuses. And I think, of course, it's good to just go, what, what's happening here? So that you can then know how to relate and pray and understand. But the reality is that transformational ministries teaches to deny ourselves but for an intended purpose. So they're half right. They really are. I got an email a while back. It literally just said, Jason, you're just denying yourself. That was the email. And I reply to all my emails, by the way, no matter how angry they are. I reply with love and grace and compassion and truth, of course. Um, but the reality is, yeah, yeah, actually I am. I am denying myself. Matthew 16, 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. They must deny themselves. Die to, isn't that what baptism is? I died to myself, resurrected in Christ. And, and Jesus makes this point even more clear. When it's a crazy scene when he's doing the, the feeding of the 5,000. And it says that many will feast on the multitude loaves and fishes and love and enjoy the blessings of God, but will turn away when called to feast on the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood and partake in his sufferings. Yeah, yeah, God, I want your blessings, but that whole pick up my cross thing, deny myself, no, 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 no. not interested in that. But let's remember the promises of God as we deny, uh, we die to ourselves and live for him. And so let me point out this. Charles Stanley has this great quote. He says, when you choose, I think it's up here. I'll put it up. When you choose to obey the Lord, he will bless you. This is because obedience always leads to blessing. I have always told people who say they do not understand why God is asking them to do a certain thing, that if they will obey him, he will reward them with a sense of peace and joy that compares to nothing this world has to offer. Therefore, set a goal to obey the Lord and watch him work in your life. I'm a walking testimony of that, and I'm sure many of you are as well. Doesn't, doesn't mean no trials. It means the joy and the peace of the Lord through the trials, through the storms. And lastly, as we wrap up so you guys get a quick break here, the last myth that we have to contend with is that transformational ministries ultimately harms people. And, of course, sadly, there's reasons for this claim as well. There are uh, those who um, 
minister in a, in a, in a difficult and uh, troubling way. They may seek to have people feel guilty uh, for their struggles. They haven't been taught or encouraged to, to build a shame-free environment, but filled with truth and grace. Um, maybe they overemphasize uh, behavioral modification. So it's simply about stopping your behavior. Stop it. Stop it. You haven't stopped it? Okay, you can't see me until you stop it. It's like, well, that's why they're there to see you, to help surrender this area of your life. Um, they may be associating with other organizations that do horrific things, some, some, some types of back-in-the-day electroshock therapy or whatever the case may be, things that, are, that have been harming and damaging. And I think we just need to simply apologize for those and allow God to redeem that. And the bottom line here in this is that the truth is that transformational ministries brings hope and freedom for those who put their trust in the Lord. So although this it is true that um, we do have people who come to PF and then have changed their understanding of God's word on this issue, um, and sadly, I've got friends, I've been there for about 29 years now in the ministry, and I have, um, I've seen lots of friends and even leaders who have abandoned God's truth to go pursue and now says it was a harmful thing. But I dare anyone to look at anything that's offered, all the curriculum, all the topics. Was it the worship that damaged you? Was it the pointing you into a right relationship with God? Was it the opportunity to have a, a safe environment to share? Ultimately, we have many more who come through this that, that see life transformation take place in their life. They hope that they were looking for, they experience that freedom and that joy in the Lord. And now want to give to others, such as myself wanting to pass on what God has given me. The comfort God has given us, as it says in 2 Corinthians, I now pass on to those who are seeking it as well. So hopefully that helps clarify a little bit. I know it's very quick, a big, lots of topic. Before we spend now the rest of the day talking about what this means, both how did it form and how does God transform, and then spend time with Q&A. So let's, um, let's take a quick break. Oh, yeah, uh, and then we have one more announcement before we take the break. Thank you. Real quick, because we, we do need to take a break, um, make sure that if you're going to have lunch with us, that you fill that out, turn it in at this break, okay? So there's a, a menu on your table, fill out your preferred lunch, and you can walk over there and turn that in. And then before we take that break, we are going to be um, sharing with you resources throughout the day, because we didn't want to just have another conference come and go with no follow-up. So... One of the things that really uh, kind of jumped off the page was when ministering to people or talking with people, you can't just say, well, the Bible says, because there are clearly people out there, churches out there, denominations out there that are misinterpreting what the Bible says. So if we're going to be effective in the way that we minister, wouldn't it stand to reason that we would need to know how to interpret the Bible properly? If I've invited Vinnie Angelo up, he and I uh, teach a class on Sunday mornings, and we've got one that's going to be running throughout the summer that Vinny's going to tell you about that might be perfect for what we're talking about. Yeah, so on the back table, when you get a chance, there's these little yellow flyers that just tell you some of the specifics about the class that we're going to offer. It's the third summer we've offered this class. We call it Grasping God's Word, and it's a basic introduction to how to study the Bible. We're, we're taught in the church to read the Bible, 
read it, read it, read it, but we're not often taught how to read the Bible. And, uh, and that can cause some issues. That's why when we listen to someone like Harold Camping talk about how the end of the world is going to be on May 21st, 2011, we, we say, he's reading the same Bible, but this sounds weird. Well, the way he read the Bible was a little different. Uh, so we believe that that's very important in the life of the church for all Christians to learn how to read the Bible. It can help specifically in situations like this. What happens when you have a friend or family member who is reading the Matthew Vines book that Jason talked about? And Matthew Vines goes through all the popular passages of the Bible that talk about homosexuality and attempts to correct them. What do we do with that other than saying, nope, he's wrong? <laughs> that's not too helpful. So we, we encourage everyone, especially our leaders, to take this class. Uh, so, like I said, if, if you want more information, I'll be hanging out for a few minutes. You could talk to me at the break or if you want to get a flyer. Uh, space is somewhat limited because we only offer one class per summer. Uh, but come talk to us, and we'd love to share with you about that. Thanks, Benny, and let's take 15 minutes. So get those menus turned in. Thanks, guys.